I suppose I'll just awkwardly stare at you as, you know, <laughs> everyone's coming back in. Well, uh, my name is Brendan Norton. Uh, I'm a pastoral intern here at King of Grace. Uh, So for those of you who know me, it's good to see you. For those of you who are guests, we're glad you're here. Um, And I will be preaching today out of 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18. And so if uh, you could change the slide, we will begin. Aha! Now, who knows what this is? The picture? Man. (laughs) I don't think I felt this awkward since, like, senior prom, so (laughs) we're on a roll. But yes, this is a picture. What what is this a picture of? That is, is in fact, Jesus. Uh, But... So, yeah, it is, well, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) However, uh, whatever you think of the uh, accuracy of this piece of artwork, uh, this is actually called the Salvatore Mundi, the savior of the world, and it was painted by Leonardo da Vinci way back during the Renaissance. And what's interesting about this painting is that this is the most expensive piece of artwork in the world. In 2017, it was sold to a Saudi prince for $450 million. So this is an extraordinarily valuable piece of artwork. So let's say that today I happen to have the original of this painting, and I gave it to one of you as a gift. What do you think you would do with that? Other than sell it. Let's say you can't sell it. <laughs> that, is, that is off the table. <laughs> Insurance, yeah. <laughs> Definitely want that. Now, do you think any of you would hang it up in your house, just on, you know, in your living room, this $450 million piece of artwork? Yes? All right, so someone is going to hang it. I was hoping you guys would say, no, no one's going to hang it. (laughs) So I'll just pretend that wasn't said. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Well, if you aren't going to hang it, let's say, what what would you do with it? Do you think you would uh, stick it under your bed? No. Hang it in your room? All right, we got... Everyone really likes this painting, apparently. well, let's say you know you decide you don't want to hang it anywhere uh, because it's valuable. Do you think you would put it in a safe? Does that sound reasonable? Well, let's say you have a safe at home and someone knows that uh, they can come into your house and take this painting. <laughs> let's just say it does. <laughs> uh, what are you going to do then? Are you going to take it to a bank? Are you going to put it in a safety deposit box? Well, people can still rob banks, so maybe you think, I'm going to take this priceless 
piece of artwork, and I am going to put it in a state-of-the-art museum. It's going to have guards. It's going to be behind bulletproof glass. It's going to have uh, lasers, all this kind of stuff. It'll be in maximum security. That could possibly sound reasonable. And now I imagine, for some of you, <laughs> maybe hanging it up in your home wouldn't be a good idea. Or maybe leaving it in your car would seem like a bad idea, just this priceless piece of artwork baking in the sun. Um, you wouldn't want to put it somewhere where it could be stolen, where it could be damaged. You wouldn't want to put it in anything fragile because it is so valuable. And you would think it would be crazy to put it somewhere that isn't safe, that is fragile. Well, interestingly enough, that's exactly what God has done. Not with a painting of Jesus, uh, not with something worth money, but with something worth much, much more. Something so incredibly precious that we would be astounded that he would store it in such a fragile place. And the thing I'm talking about is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This notion that God has sent his son into the world to die for our sins. Uh, that in doing so we've been forgiven, that we uh, share in a new life with Christ, and that we will be resurrected from the dead. This is a treasure of unsurpassing worth, and yet God has not stored it in a vault somewhere. He's not put it under guard and high security. He's stored it in clay jars, in fragile, weak, frail pots. And what those jars, what those pots of clay are, are you and me are believers who are fragile, who are frail, and weak. And what we're going to discover today is why exactly God would do that, why he'd store something so precious within something so fragile and delicate, and exactly what that means for our life, what the significance of that is. And so if you haven't already turned there, if you want to turn to 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18, As you're doing that, I'm just going to pray for God's word. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for, Lord, just the opportunity to share your word. Lord, that even today uh, we acknowledge that we are jars of clay. Lord, that you have shared and stored such an uh, unsurpassing valuable within us, Lord, and that it is to your glory and your wisdom that you do so. And so, Lord, I pray today as we go through your word, Lord, you would help us to understand what that means, understand what hope we have in that condition, and understand your purposes for our lives. We just ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'll read. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, 
so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So last week, uh, Pastor Paul preached um, the first part of 2 Corinthians 4. And in uh, that section, Paul explains what the nature of his ministry is and explains uh, what the gospel is, that that is his ministry, that he's not peddling the word of God, that he's not being dishonest or deceitful, um, but that he is accurately and righteously portraying God's action in the gospel for us and sharing that uh, ministry in the Christian life is one of weakness but also hope, and this is what we're going to see in this passage as well. So right off the bat, uh, verse 7, uh, Paul is referencing the gospel and what he had said earlier in 2 Corinthians 4. He says that this treasure is kept in jars of clay, and that treasure is uh, the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It is Again, the message of the gospel that he has died for our sins, that he's been raised to life. This is the treasure that's kept in a jar of clay. And what's interesting about jars of clay, um, and I think I've mentioned, is that they are fragile, that that is the whole idea. If I had a clay pot right now and I kicked it over, it would shatter. Um, they're not strong. They're not durable. They're not meant for... Uh, high-intensity impacts, anything like that. And yet, this is the thing that Paul is saying God is storing the gospel in. And why would God do that? Why, again, would God take such a valuable treasure and store it in such a seemingly poor vessel? Why wouldn't he store it in, you know, a jar of gold or a jar of uh, metal, something like that? Well, the reason that Paul uh, explains is that by storing it in something so fragile, we are able to see that it is not the vessel itself that is behind the power of the gospel, but it's God. So no one is going to assume uh, for Paul, uh, Paul has already mentioned that he uh, is not necessarily a strong person. He's talked about his weakness all throughout this letter, and he's going to continue doing so. Uh, he's not some great orator. He's not some uh, great man of philosophy and wisdom, as some of the other super apostles or false teachers in Corinth are. Uh, he is a weak vessel, and yet the gospel is having power and it's having effect. People are coming and turning from paganism, turning from their sin and turning to Christ. And whereas the other uh, false teachers or false apostles 
might take credit for such an action, saying that it's by my eloquence, it's by my wisdom, it's by what I have done that this is taking place. Paul is saying, no, God is not going to choose a vessel that is strong in and of itself, not going to choose a vessel that is powerful in and of itself, because we might get the idea that the vessel is the thing that's doing all of the good. It's the thing that's converting people. You know, it's, in today's world, it's perhaps, you know, I get up here and I talk about Jesus and I use some emotional gimmicks to get people excited and then they proclaim faith in Christ. Uh, that would be me attempting to use my strength in order to have an effect where people supposedly convert or come to Jesus. But that's not the reality of how people come to Christ. That's not the reality of the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is not emotional manipulation. The power of the gospel is not a well-crafted oratory, well-crafted rhetoric or sermon. The power of the gospel is Jesus Christ coming into one's life and radically changing it, taking them from a life of sin and death and bringing them to life and righteousness. And Paul wants to make clear that this is, uh, this is the vessel that God is choosing, one that is weak that we would never associate with such power, so that we always know that the credit belongs to God, that he is the one who's doing this, not us. And to further make this point, Paul is going to kind of circle around this idea and demonstrate in his life what it means that he is a jar of clay. He's not merely leaving the metaphor as it is for us to understand, but he's going to go on and explain exactly what this means. And so in the next verse, or two verses, he goes through this list of things that have happened, things, uh, bad things that have gone on. And so he says, you know, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So, these are not good things. No one wants to be afflicted. No one wants to be crushed, or no one wants to be perplexed. No one wants to be persecuted or struck down. These are the elements of weakness that constitute Paul's life as a jar of clay, that these uh, sufferings are going to happen to him. But where we see the power of God as that treasure within Paul is that though these things happen, though he's afflicted in every way, he's not crushed. Though he suffers, he's not ultimately destroyed by that suffering. God is giving him sustaining grace and power not to be overcome by these things. And that's not to say that these things are ephemeral or in some way not real. He's just like, ah, none of this bothers me. I don't care about persecution or being crushed or anything. Um, these are real and substantial things that happen to Paul. And as we turn later into the letter, letter, we'll find what those things are. Shipwrecks, persecutions, insults, animals uh, attacking him, different things like that. So these are real things. This isn't just flowery language, but this is real bad things that are happening to Paul. And so he sums this up in saying uh, all of these bad things that he is always carrying around the death of Jesus, 
And he's going to go on and he's going to repeat that, that he's carrying within him the death of Jesus. And what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean he's carrying around a dead body with him all the time. That would be kind of weird. Um, (laughs) This is metaphorical language. But what Paul is getting at here is that in being uh, a vessel for the gospel, in being a servant of Jesus, uh, he is going to experience the same kind of things that Jesus experienced. Jesus experienced suffering in his life. Jesus experienced persecution. He experienced pain. And because of that, anyone who follows after him, anyone who would be a vessel to carry the message of Jesus, must also go through the same things. And this is a point not just that Paul makes, but Jesus himself made as well. In Matthew 10, 24 through 25. Now, after he's talking to the disciples about being persecuted, because he's sending them out to preach the gospel in Israel, he says to them, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebel, how much more will they malign those of his household? Jesus is making the same point here that Paul is making. Again, that to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a servant of Jesus, to be a jar of clay for that message, you are going to suffer. That is the inescapable reality of the gospel. Uh, There's no getting around that. There's no exit hatch. Suffering is going to come your way because the one that we're following after was one who is suffering. If Jesus is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, then we're certainly going to be his suffering servants. And perhaps you might think to yourself, well, that doesn't seem like all that great of news. Uh, (laughs) You know, I have to suffer. I have to go through persecutions. I have to carry around the death of Jesus. Uh, In fact, that seems like such bad news that a lot of people uh, preach that that's not supposed to happen. If you're a Christian, you're not supposed to suffer. Um, If you're a Christian, everything is supposed to be life and health and wealth and all of these good things. But what I'd say to you from this passage and and what Paul and Jesus are teaching is that that idea is false news. That idea that we don't suffer is not true. It's not true based in our reality. Anyone who's alive has suffered. Um, And it's not based in the teaching of Scripture. And not only is that false news, but what God promises in the gospel is actually better news, uh, better than a life without suffering, It's news that our suffering has a purpose. It's news that our suffering uh, is not simply uh, vacant of meaning, that it's not random, that it's not uh, pointless, but that God is trying to work out something through our sufferings for the sake of Christ. And this idea that Paul is going to circle around and mention several times is that in the same way that they carry the death of Christ in their bodies, They also carry around the life of Jesus, that through their sufferings they manifest the life of Jesus. And what does that mean? That is referring to uh, the fact that, yes, you suffer as a Christian. Yes, you have uh, the sufferings of Jesus come into your life. But if you suffer because you're a servant of Jesus, if you suffer because 
you're a fragile jar of clay, um, if you participate in Jesus in that way, then you also participate in his life. It's not all just suffering. There is also life that comes from that. And so Paul, in saying that the life of Jesus is made manifest, uh, again, Paul is a weak jar of clay. He's a weak, fragile vessel. But by seeing the fact that he is uh, perplexed but not in despair, seeing the fact that he's struck down uh, but not destroyed, that there is that element of deliverance that what Paul experiences in his life does not ultimately destroy him, that is the life of Jesus, that we see that only Jesus could be the one who's doing that. Only Jesus could be the one that's sustaining Paul, that's sustaining Christians in their lives. That the very weakness that uh, is emblematic of being a jar of clay is the thing that reveals who Jesus is in our lives. That it's crucial to the gospel that we be weak. It's crucial to the gospel that we be fragile. Not because God gets kicks out of kicking us, but that in being weak and fragile, we can see the strength of Jesus in our lives, that we can see that life that he lived, we can see that resurrection power in our own lives. And so that is what Paul is getting at in these verses. And as uh, Paul goes on to verse 12, he even says that death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Uh, again, making this point that in his fragility, the strength of God is revealed. Uh, not only is that to his benefit, but it's to the benefit of those around him. It's to the benefit of the Corinthians because they uh, are able to see God's power. They're able to see Jesus' life in Paul because he is suffering, but he's being strengthened by Jesus. And so it has this effect of witnessing to the power of Christ in our lives by virtue of our weakness. And Paul continues to go on and says, uh, he quotes now Psalm uh, 116.10, saying, this is not what I'm looking at, Uh, (laughs) you know, I believe, therefore I spoke. And the context of this psalm is the psalmist has been suffering, but the psalmist has reached out to the Lord, and now he has this hope. He has this hope uh, that he is going to... uh, remain in the land of the living. He's going to walk before the Lord. And so this is a proclamation of faith of what he is going to experience. And so Paul quotes this verse to make a similar declaration of faith uh, that he also will walk in the land of the living, not in that he will survive every trial, but the ultimate hope that he's going to experience is that he will be resurrected with Jesus that just as Jesus died and rose from the dead, so too is Paul going to die and rise from the dead, and so are the Corinthians as well. Uh, That is the the great thing about being a jar of clay in this passage, uh, is that eventually that fragility, eventually that weakness will give way to a perfection, to a strength that cannot be taken back, that cannot be revoked, such that we uh, live in uh, endless joy as resurrected people. And that's the, the hope that Paul is trying to point the Corinthians to. 
And in doing so, this will cause uh, thanksgiving to abound to God, which is the goal that Paul would have for the Corinthians, the goal that he would have for the ministry of the gospel. And so that's a lot. <laughs> that first section, that first point is like most of the passage. Uh, <laughs> so I understand if it's a little, you know, everything's floating around. Um, but maybe this illustration might help. So let's imagine that you all live in America. Ta-da, imagination works. <laughs> that was very easy. <laughs> but let's imagine that it's the year 1941. And you, as a person living in America, you experience the things that the country experiences by virtue of being an American. And so you experience the tragedy of Pearl Harbor. You experience all of the, the pain and the fear and uh, the threat of war, all of that that goes on because you're an American. You participate in the life of being an American. And so you feel all the same things. You experience the same thing. So there's the negative. There's that suffering. There's that carrying around the death of Jesus in your body. Or I guess as an American, Uncle Sam. Something like that. Um, but in the same way that you experience that suffering, you'll also experience joy and life because as the war goes on, we get to 1945, the war ends, and so now you'll experience the joy and the life and the celebration of that war ending by virtue of participating in life as an American. And so that's not an exact analogy, but I hope that helps get across uh, some of what Paul is saying here. And so bringing that into application for our lives, um, let me just say that if you're suffering now in your Christian life, there is hope. Because we know that even though there's death, even though there's weakness because of our fragility as jars of clay, there's also going to be life worked out. Life worked out in such a way that people see Jesus in your life and are drawn to him but also life that's going to be worked out in an eternal sense when you are resurrected from the dead. And so these are the things that are meant to encourage you from this passage. And as we move to verse 16, which is the second point, uh, Paul is going to give us even more reasons to be encouraged, to not be discouraged. And so verse 16 we have, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. If you look at the logic of the passage, this is really the crux of what Paul is trying to get at. He's saying all these things before verse 16 and after verse 16 in order to encourage the Corinthians. And so he says, therefore, do not lose heart, uh, or so we do not lose heart. And then goes on to say, though our outer selves are wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And so Paul is, again, hovering around this point of our weakness, of our fragility as jars, uh, but giving another reason why we are not to be discouraged. And this is because, though, again, we're jars of clay, we are fragile, we are weak, and we experience that weakness, that fragility, that suffering such that you could say you're wasting away, um, our bodies deteriorate, our minds deteriorate. 
in spite of this, God is actually renewing us, renewing us spiritually, drawing us closer to him and making us more like him. And so again, though there is death, carrying around the death uh, of Jesus in our bodies, life is also going to be revealed. And so to think of that, just that short little sentence he has, uh, think of a, a water well in a house. Uh, you know, the house has a pump that brings water up from underground to use for taking a shower, washing dishes, uh, doing all sorts of things. And assuming you don't use too much too quickly, uh, you will take water out. It's going to be depleted. It's going to lose water. But as time goes on, it's going to be replenished. Uh, rain is going to come down. It's going to seep through the ground and go back into that well. Um, even though it's being depleted, it is also being renewed, being refilled uh, at the same time. And so that's kind of what being a jar of clay for Paul again uh, is, that we are being depleted like that well water, but at the same time, God is helping us. He is renewing and replenishing us at the very same time that we're depleting. So again, as we're carrying around the death of Jesus in our fragile jar form, God is also renewing us. He's making us alive with Christ spiritually and eventually will make us physically alive with Christ as well. And so thinking through this verse, um, perhaps you feel like a depleted well. I know that oftentimes that's how I feel. Um, just the things that happen in our lives that we have to endure as Christians, as people, can make us feel depleted, can make us feel dry, can make us feel like we truly are wasting away. But as encouragement, I want us to remember that even though we feel those things, even though we endure this suffering as fragile jars of clay, God is renewing us and changing us, in our suffering, we are becoming more like him. In our depletion, we are actually being replenished, such that as we go through the suffering, we can have a hope that it's not the last word, that it's not the final say, and that when we feel at our weakest, God is working at us at his strongest. And so that is what Paul is getting at in this verse. And now, as we move to the last point, verses 17 through 18. Paul is going to uh, tell us as jars of clay uh, one final instruction, one final example, um, that we are to have our eyes set on a future hope. Um, we are to be encouraged by something in the future that despite our fragility should give us enough energy, enough excitement, enough hope that we can continue on in our Christian lives. And so what Paul says here is, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen, or the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so Paul starts off saying that 
the affliction that he's been describing is two things. It is light and it is momentary. And so if you've read through 2 Corinthians, if you've read the New Testament, uh, that seems like a really weird assertion by Paul. Uh, Paul has suffered a lot in his life, and none of it seems light. None of it seems temporary. You know, again, he has been attacked by animals. He's been persecuted. Uh, We find in Acts he was stoned. Uh, We find he was shipwrecked. We find that he was beaten. Um, And eventually, uh, after the New Testament is finished, Paul was beheaded. Um, That was the end of his life. And so it's really weird for Paul to describe that as light and momentary because those things don't seem light at all. I don't think being stoned is a light thing. I don't think I'd shrug that off. Uh, It really seems like a Pandora's box of suffering for someone to endure. But he still describes them as light and momentary. And why is that? Well, they're momentary in light of eternity. You know, a human lives on average about 80 years. That's still a long time. But when you compare it to an endless amount of time, it's just a drop in the bucket. And so in light of that, you could say it's momentary. But to say that it's light, to say that it's light and momentary, uh, still doesn't make sense. And in order for that to make sense, you need to see what Paul is comparing it to in this passage. For all of this suffering and trouble for him to be light and momentary, he is comparing it to something so uh, unsurpassingly amazing uh, that by comparison, he can say those things. And the thing that he's talking about is this eternal weight of glory beyond comparison that these light and momentary troubles are light and momentary because of how great the future is going to be. Now, we've already talked about the resurrection. We've talked about this renewal to life in Jesus. And that is basically what Paul's talking about. Uh, But part of this eternal weight of glory is that we are going to be with Jesus. We're going to be resurrected. And that's not to say we're just going to live the same lives, just in a different venue. You know, everything is going to be harps and angels and nice and white and colorful. No. It's something so great and so grand to live in the future in our resurrected bodies with Jesus, to trade all of the suffering and fragility we experience today as these jars of clay for endless happiness, ever-increasing joy, Uh, to be with the best and uh, kindest and uh, goodest being in the universe and all of each other for eternity. There's simply no way to describe how good that is. And it's funny because what Paul says here, literally he says uh, (coughs) that this is an eternal weight of glory according to an extraordinary degree to an extraordinary degree. That's what the original language says. And that just sounds funny because Paul himself is struggling to encapture in words just how great this future is going to be. I don't know if you're sitting here and thinking in my description, like, that sounds great. Uh, Probably not. Uh, 
simply because there's no way to describe that in words. There's no way to describe how incredible and joyful that reality is going to be, that eternal uh, weight of glory. It's just beyond imagining. It's beyond all comparison. And so when you have that as your future hope, when you have that as what you're looking forward to, even the worst suffering you're going to experience simply doesn't compare. It simply uh, does not uh, register on the same scale. And because of this, Paul is, as an example, saying to the Corinthians, uh, not to keep their eyes on what's seen. The things we see, the things we experience, is that suffering, is that fragility as jars of clay. We're not to keep our eyes on that, but instead we're to put our eyes on that future hope, that eternal weight of glory, because that's the thing that's real and substantial. Our suffering, however bad it is, is only going to last a lifetime. But in being with Jesus, in living in that resurrection life in the future, that's going to last forever. And it's going to be so much better in comparison to anything we suffer today. And so Paul is saying to them, keep your eyes not on the things that are seen, your suffering, your pain, your fragility, but keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on that future hope, that weight of glory. And so maybe as an example to show in daily life what this could be like, that something you suffer, something that you see, um, could be light and momentary and transitory in comparison to joy. Uh, I'll just tell you a little story from when I was in high school. Uh, it was September 14th, 2010. And the significance of that date is a little nerdy. Uh, it happened to be the day that the latest game in the Halo series came out, and I had pre-ordered it. You don't know now I'm a nerd. Uh, <laughs> so I was very excited. And so I picked up my friend Craig, and we drove to the store and picked it up. And I was so excited and so happy uh, that as we were driving back, I didn't notice that there was a red light right in front of me. And... I started driving, I was going like 50, and Craig said, no, 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 stop, there's a red light. So I slammed on my brakes, and my car was old uh, and not taken care of, so my brake line exploded, and I lost my brakes. <laughs> not a good situation. Uh, thankfully, I was able to uh, just kind of coast along. There were no other cars around me, and I just kind of came to a stop in a parking lot. Uh, but here I am sitting, I have no brakes, uh, you know, I can't drive home, so I have to get a uh, car or a truck to tow it, uh, I have to get a ride home, all of this stuff, I'm going to have to repair that, I'm, you know, in high school, I don't have a lot of money, uh, not a great day, uh, but I actually didn't care at all, uh, I was so excited to go home and play that game. <laughs> I did not even care about my car, and so <laughs> I just went home, and I just popped that sucker in, and I was there all night. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a silly example, but I hope it gets across this idea that uh, this was something I was so excited about, this is something I was so hopeful about, and it was so enjoyable, that even, you know, losing my car, 
almost crashing into things because I had no brakes, uh, you know, potentially serious repercussions simply did not register for me, simply did not uh, appear as uh, terrible as they may seem. They were, for me, light and momentary compared to what I was going to experience. And so maybe for you, uh, maybe what you think of and what you suffer through isn't a silly example like what I gave, but maybe it's something much more serious. Maybe you're experiencing health problems. Maybe you're experiencing financial difficulty, anxiety, family strife, things that do not seem light and do not seem momentary. In fact, they may seem to you unbearably heavy and never-ending. But let me encourage you from this passage that uh, though those things are difficult, in light of eternity, in light of what we will experience as Christians with Jesus, uh, there's simply no comparison. That the worst that you're going through is not meant to be minimized by this passage, but it's meant to turn your eyes from that suffering, from that fragility as a jar of clay, and point you to this eternal future, this eternal joy that you're going to experience. To be encouraged and not discouraged. To keep your eyes on Jesus and not your eyes on the things that you go through today. And so I pray that uh, as you've listened, that uh, God has encouraged you, that as he has uh, made it clear that we are jars of clay, uh, that we have hope in spite of our suffering, that as jars of clay, we are to be encouraged, and that as jars of clay, we are to keep our eyes on Jesus, we are to keep our eyes on this eternal hope, because it's simply so much better so much greater, so much more enjoyable than anything we experience in suffering today. And so I hope that helps, and I guess we're open for questions now.